Welcome to Season 2020, Episode 1. In this week's show, how are the teams really surviving in quarantine? Who really holds the keys to MotoGP 2020? And Lorenzo's Day 5. You're listening to the Pissingo Report. Hello and welcome to the Pacino Report. This is the official podcast of PacinoGP.com, hosted by me, Dave Gill. Thank you for downloading the first episode. This is the podcast that proves that there may not be uh, a lot of racing going on at the moment, but there is sure as heck some big, big MotoGP news out there at the moment. Look, I'll be assisted uh, by my two co-hosts on this, as well as uh, the big boss himself, uh, Mr. Manuel Pacino. But before we get to him, I'd, uh, I'd like to take this chance to introduce uh, who you're hopefully going to be hearing a lot more of in, uh, the, in the future of this podcast. Look, first person I want to introduce you to, Ms. Andrew Easton. How are you doing, my dear? Hey, good, thank you. How are you going? Yeah, um, look, going to put some uh, cards on the table. We've actually brought you into this podcast because um, a few weeks ago, I noticed that you had uh, an an extremely special talent that was uh, very, very (laughs) useful on this podcast. (laughs) Would you like to tell us about? I can't remember all the conversations we had now. Which which thing? No, no, no. It's the big one. Oh, the big one. What what are you bringing to the podcast? The best part about that and the easiest thing for me is it's absolutely nothing. I know nothing. (laughs) All I know is there's something about motorbikes and going around. I guess they even go clockwise, maybe. I think that's all I know. Yeah, and two two wheels, as you explained to me today. Yes, and and skinny guys. So in one corner, we're going to have um, what I'm billing as the master, Mr. Manuel Pacino himself. And in the left-hand corner, we're going to have the apprentice, Miss Andrew Easton. So You're making well, this sound like a boxing competition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the master and the apprentice and the two other guys. <laughs> hi, hi to everybody. Nice to be here with you. And uh, now let's start. How it? Uh, let's see how it works. We'll get to you in a minute, Manuel. I'm building okay. this up for you. <laughs> <laughs> so bottom corner, Mr. Uh, Stuart Jemima Elizabeth McGrath. How are you, my friend? <laughs> David Henrietta Gill, I'm fantastic. How are you, my friend? I've, I've seen um, once on your resume, you once described yourself as a Maserati in a world of Kias. Would you like to that's, explain that a bit more? <laughs> yeah, that, that sums me up. There's, there's far too many Kias on the road, I think. And I think if you can have one Maserati among them, then may as well be me. <laughs> but you're also no stranger to MotoGP and you're, um, you're also no stranger to uh, motorcycling journalism. No, this is uh, this is true. I've sort of dabbled my hand in uh, in watching many GPS, um, <laughs> and I've yeah been been in and around motorcycles in uh, in one form or another for probably the last twenty years or so. Writing a couple of articles for a few magazines here in Australia, running a motorbike shop, and as I say, just getting drunk at way too many races. <laughs> That's the reason everyone's um, dialed into this. Now, I've, I've got I've got Manuel's Manuel's biography in front of me. Like, strap in, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be here for a while. The so longest 30, thing go for. Exactly right. Manuel's 30 years of reporting on the Motorcycle World Championship. He's been a communications consultant for MotoGP, television commentator for MotoGP, speaks five languages. He's been a communications consultant for just about every team that I can list off the top of my head. So Lucky Strike, Telefonica, 
uh, HRC, Philip Morris. He's been an editor-in-chief of Solo Moto magazine. You're currently writing for uh, MCN. This can only be one person. It's the, it's the man himself. It's Mr. Manuel Pacino. Welcome. Welcome to your own podcast. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. But the, the, the key of this are the 30 years, you know. <laughs> In 30 years, yeah. you have time to do a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Make a lot of mistakes in that yeah. time. <laughs> and switch from one team to another until they yeah. discover who I am, you know? <laughs> so, so with that experience, this podcast could actually go for the next 50 years. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably will. With some good filters, none of us can age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as I... um. Sort of alluded to at the start of the podcast, there hasn't been. It's been an extraordinary MotoGP season so far, with only you know two races um, out of the formal season for Moto3 and Moto2. Um, it doesn't appear to be too much racing out there, but there is definitely some news, and uh, Manuel's going to walk us through uh, what he's seeing. Um, coming out of the MotoGP world at the moment. And this is this is the reason that I wanted to start this and why I reached out to Manuel is that the, the, the news isn't stopping even though the racing uh, might be. Um, Manuel, the question I've got for you first up is how are the teams surviving whilst we're being self-isolated and self-quarantined? We're, we're essentially in lockdown. What are the teams doing to, to keep themselves sharp, keen and ready to go? Um, I would say the first thing they are is ro- worried a lot and Many managers are basically crying at their homes, you know, <laughs> basically, basically the small teams. Uh, we have to, to divide the stuff between the factory teams and the private teams. This is very clear, you know. The factory, they have financial muscle to survive to this situation. Mm. But the other teams, it's a matter where that we have to go through and it's it's obviously putting some pressure on on the riders themselves because i'm i'm seeing some extreme um social media posts at the moment one of them that i've, I've shared amongst you guys was of, of madrick vinales himself standing um on his balcony asking what we're all going to read as i was explaining to <laughs> stand in, in his bathrobe i'll put it in the show notes after this did he have a tv guide that, in his hand Exactly right. We had to look to see if the book was up the right way. The big question I've got... The book looked completely upside down. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't be cruel. Don't be cruel. He's a writer. He he is a writer. He doesn't need to read. (laughs) No, he just needs to know numbers. He's a writer. He just needs to know numbers. He doesn't care about words. (laughs) I I was saying to Andrew today, I just want to be body shamed uh, into what my favorite writers are doing. I don't want them actually trying to connect with me at a, at a, at a cerebral level. (laughs) I I want to be looking at a, at a leash um, in his gym, 23 and a half hours a day, making me feel bad that I don't look and work like him. (laughs) Yes, but David, have one of them turn around and go, well, we can read as well. Yeah, no, we don't, we don't need. No, but this is a very important to realize, you know, I know that the fans look at the writers like what they are, they're idols. Okay. But, uh, we or basically I that I live with them every day like you realize that they are like any other person but they do just one thing better than us that is riding motorcycle so but this happens with all type of sportsmen you know of of elite sportsmen you look at them like wow but at the end they are human being human yeah Mm -hmm. with their pros and their cons with their characters and this is what is important not to forget one of the things that I wanted to sort of introduce in the podcast is that something that was very famous in Australia a few years ago, um, pre-Tinder, 
uh, was a, a comparison called Hot or Not. And the question I've got for you, Andrew, I, I put that photo of, of Maverick uh, out there for you. So straight off the bat, we can put him on the leaderboard. Is Maverick hot or is he not? He was wearing. Was he wearing like a dressing gown? He was wearing the dressing gown. Yeah. Was he wearing anything under the dressing gown? <laughs> for your imagination to reveal. <laughs> well, see, considering I've got no preconception of. I don't know if these motorbike riders are big muscly guys or lean. Like you showed me that other video today. I was surprised yeah. at how lean and muscle, was you know, just lean. Yeah. yeah. Group one jockey, like horse yeah. jockey, just covered in from head to toe in leather, slowly sweating and basting in the sun all day. That's pretty oh, much. Stop it. You're making me a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't even know what I was, what to even expect. What to, I would have expect, you know, say because again, I'm sorry, I'm very uneducated in this, but you think of a motorbike rider, maybe like in a bikey gang, some big strong guy, or, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's amazing. Like their str- their strength is obviously incredible, and their fitness is incredible. Um, I didn't answer your question though. Yeah, they, they have sorry, they have to combine the mm. the because the weight in racing is very important, right? And they they can't be too too tall because the aerodynamics is also yep. important. So mm-hmm. the other day Hence talking why with Zeus never won a championship, for example. And, and the other day I was talking with Danilo Petrucci about that. He's the tallest guy in the championship, yeah. and he told me, look, the average weight and the size of a MotoGP rider should be around one one meter seventy, and said wow. seventy five kilos. This is more or less, yes. I'm saying thank you, Manuel, for the first time ever. You are there in the height. The weight, maybe you have to do something for it. Maybe the weight, I don't quite get there. But thank you, Manuel, for showing me that for once, for the first time ever, I'm too tall for something. (laughs) Oh, congratulations. (laughs) So how tall is the tallest guy? The tallest guy must be around 1 meter 80 or, yeah, between 80 and 90. So they don't suit it to the bike, you know. Is that like kind of, and again, we're going to make the comparison to jockeys. Is that because they get so compact and close to the bike type thing? Oh, but the jockeys, they are one meter sixty, one meter five fifty. Oh yeah, they're yeah. way like a they whole other scale. They are but... really Pokemons, you know. They are. Really yeah. Pokemons. <laughs> yeah, when, you, when you when you get someone like Pedrosa, it's like okay, yeah, so he is a jockey. That's yeah, fine. he was he was a jockey. Yeah. <laughs> but then, how heavy are these bikes? Like, how how much? The bikes, I think, they are now around one, uh, one, one ninety or one seventy around. Yeah, they they are quite light, you know. They are yes. quite light. But so the bike, not in comparison the to the bikes, riders, yeah. like. Oh yeah, but they are racing bikes. They are all, uh, you know, super mm. thin uh, fairing. Everything is very, very worked out. So, Manuel, we, we did see some racing on the weekend um, as a part of the eSport challenge. Are you hearing anything on the grapevine of how seriously the riders are taking that, or are they just taking it as a bit of tongue in cheek? Did you yes. see their faces? Come no, on, no, look, look, I, I, yeah. I, I was preparing this uh, podcast and I was ashamed because I didn't watch that. I I didn't like. I I like real racing, but yeah. I got some inputs of good friends of mine and people who understand that was very interesting, and I wanted to share with you to see if you share what they saw. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. So let's start with Mark Marquez. I was told that Mark was clearly the man who controlled everything. The one who was making jokes. You know, it was like the 
leader of this story. Clearly, yeah. that yeah. the alpha macho. I don't know how yep. you say it in English, right? And with the, the share screen, that's why they had him up in the top left as well. He was clearly number one, yeah. sitting there like the robot in charge. Yep. And he was the one who was uh, making jokes. That that's what I thought. Then another thing interesting. On the opposite was his brother, very serious, yeah. completely concentrated. I was told, and by doing this, he knew later both Alex and Banyaya are the most questioned rider in MotoGP at this moment. So for them, it was not fun. For them, it was like, wow, I have to show something, you know, yeah. to reivindicate themselves, mm. right? Yeah. yeah, mark the ground. This is what I was told. And then I was told that uh, Fabio Quartararo knocked down Vinales. Oh, twice. didn't he ever? <laughs> twice. Yeah, he went down twice. <laughs> and that people who know Maverick said that his face was okay, but he was you're yeah. on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last thing I wanted to comment with you about that is something very interesting as well. Mark was very funny, like joking, but, but in, the, in, the, in the introduction, he said that he was not good in that, yeah. right? That his brother was good. And then when it started, he got very serious and he raised very conscious, not making any mistake. He didn't crash. And he arrived, I think, fourth or something like this yeah. or whatever. But he he approached it not like a game, you know, like professional. You see? Mm -hmm. This is yeah. what I got uh, told. Wow. So yep. you, you, th you think they are, th th there's agendas at play already, even at the uh, Xbox and PC level? When they get together, as we have spoken so many times, they are racing each other since they are 13, basically. Yeah. So they know for them anything, you know, if they go to eat, probably they challenge who eat less, not who eat more. You know? <laughs> Look at them with the keepy uppy challenge, <laughs> kicking, the, kicking the toilet rolls up over the, over the last few months as well, Dave. You know, it's, yeah. it's perfect to see. These guys, yeah. do you remember, look, we have uh, photos of these guys when they were nine, ten years old racing together. Yeah. So they have done nothing in their life but competing. So for them, anything they do is competition. Yep. Yeah, so, good point. Good point. So the the reason that the eSport challenge is obviously, you know, the, the avenue and the outlet for, for, for MotoGP is because we've, you're living through quite a remarkable set of circumstances. Um, the question I've got for you, uh, Manuel, is that um, you've had some observations recently of um, who is going to hold the key of when uh, MotoGP 2020 season effectively going to kick off oh yes look the, the situation is actually we don't know when the championship is going to start right uh, today it has been officially cancelled the french grand prix mm -hmm. now the following grand prix is i think is uh, is to be the catalonia grand prix Mugello is uh, the next on the list that probably won't happen okay so we don't know what's what's going to when it will start. Nobody knows. I think nobody knows in the world what's going to happen in one month. The story is, and the, the, the point is, when it starts, as everything, everything has been rescheduled, there is a factor that nobody has thought about it. Well, nobody, I haven't read or heard anything about it. It's about the tires, okay? Because you have to consider one thing. The tires is the most important thing 
in a race. You know, the tires uh, is the little piece that puts the bike in contact with the floor. Okay, with the with the ground, not the floor, the ground. So, and it's so dramatically. Normally, these tires are very uh, technically chosen. It depends on the uh, temperature of the air, the temperature of the ground, and this. Before the season starts, the tire supplier knows exactly which tire he will take to which place. So, and this has ever, uh, completely changed. So, what's going to happen? Look, an example: when the Argentinian Grand Prix was scheduled to be in April, April in in your hemisphere is what is uh, starting to come in the winter. We're we're in autumn or fall, is the okay, winter. fall. Now it's uh, the race is scheduled for November. So it's completely the other way now. It would it would be cold down there in uh, April. Now it's be super hot. And it's going to be very have, hot. Yeah. Yeah. And as they don't have any experience, how are they going to do? Okay. So I contacted this week the the Michelin uh, guy in France and talking with him. Yes, about this story, how they are going to do. But the key of the story was very funny. He told me the headline. He told me, look. The championship can decide to start whenever they want, but as long as we cannot get in our factory to produce the tires, there is no racing. And Absolutely. because yeah. yeah, because the the the, the government has locked uh, how do you say lockdown? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lockdown. All yep. the industries, nobody's working, nobody's producing. And this was the, the the moment that it all clicked for me when we spoke about this. So unless uh, yeah, Macron. Uh, releases his workforce. Um, yeah, there is no, no yeah, the headline. The headline. You know that journalists we like to do bad yeah. headlines. Uh-huh. Uh, the headline is Macron has kidnapped the championship. Yeah. We are in the hands uh, yeah. of the of the yeah. president of France. <laughs> <laughs> the, the question I was thinking about this the last couple of days. Um, would there be an opportunity? We live in extraordinary times. You know. What has brought us to this point is unprecedented in the last 70 years. So would there be a precedent for um, Dorna and FIM and whoever make these decisions to go to Dunlop and Bridgestone and say for the remainder of the season? No, no, no. no. There is no way. Look, the most important thing in motorcycle racing is safety. Yep. The most. You know, in a car you are seated on a, in, a, in a box and you are safe, basically, in a car. Unless David's driving. Unless David is driving. (laughs) And depending of the the hour of the day or of the night. (laughs) In fact, I asked the guy from Michelin if they could transfer their technician who built, because the racing uh, tires are made manual, not with machines. They are manual. The guys are putting all these different... That's why sometimes it doesn't come out round. (laughs) So... (laughs) I asked them if they can transfer those hyper-specialized technicians to Brazil or to Indonesia where they have huge factories. Yeah, they said yeah. no, no, because the racing department has certain tools that are just for that, you know. Mm. So Macron really does have MotoGP by the, the crutch of the pants. It's a very elegant way to say it, yes. <laughs> I was going to say something else, but I think it was rating on... Um, you are a gentleman. You are a gentleman. <laughs> so when you're talking before okay, about... Dave, if, I'll say it. 
<laughs> if they have a race in a really hot environment, so being that it's a season, do they generally only race in certain types of weather or is this going to throw that completely out or do you think they might try and cram it into the end of the season or... They, they normally race in any type of, of weather. They try to avoid, for example, to race in super hot uh, summer. You know, here in Europe, in, in August, it's impossible to race in Spain or in Italy. Yeah, you're but, 30 but to they, Yeah, but they, are, if, <laughs> <laughs> but they are ready to do it anywhere, you know, in cold, in, in hot. But mm-hmm. they know, they have to know in advance. And another thing I forget to say, the guy from Michelin told me, okay, once they open the factories and we start to work, we can't uh, produce tires like donuts. It will take a time. So if they start, <laughs> if they start doing a lot of races, they they won't catch up. They have not the mm-hmm. time to catch up and produce They've everything. Got a backlog. Yeah, it's a long lead time. Wow. So are all these riders able to get out and practice at all, or they're just they're actually locked up and? No, no. This is uh, they are all at home and. It's funny because basically what they do, again, they do, they they all have a, a gym at home, okay? Mm-hmm. They all PlayStation, play PlayStation day and night. Like simulator type? No, no, just to have fun. I, I probably... Oh, I'm don't, thinking don't of preparation training. Whatever, you know? <laughs> They're just boys playing their Xbox, uh, playing their late, PlayStation. Late teens, early mid-twenties, that's, that's all like. Just don't. Billion I bet they're not playing games. I bet <laughs> they're looking up other things. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you something that they have now that they do are the bicycling. Okay. So they wow. with with now with these uh, uh, computers, how do you say this bicycle you do on a roll? No roll. You say yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 they all yeah. connect together, yeah. and they again they compete like okay let's. Let's uh, compete to go up a uh, mountain pass. Yes. You know? They go together and then they start racing because they can, their life is competing. This is what so they, they do. It's just, they sound like such a family. It's, such a, it's a community. It's a family. Uh, Andra, a family, uh, a very... No, a family no. A family no because <laughs> family, their relationship is supposed to be friendly. You know, well, not uh, all families are, but yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not far off. My family. <laughs> I buy this. I buy this. No, yeah. but they, they, they look again. So it's not they, necessarily healthy competition. It's actual competition. Like yeah, I'm no, gonna. They, they can't be family because you have, again, you have to realize they compete each other since they are ten, nine years old. Yeah, so every weekend, built. every weekend they met in the last 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. everyone looked at the other and said, I have to beat this guy. So mm-hmm. you cannot be a friend of somebody. You have to destroy every weekend. Yeah. That, that, that brings a good point up. There's um, there's always the um, the drunk uncles and there's always the, the members of the family who've gone out and done other things, the black sheep. And we've got a bit of a black sheep on our hands at the moment within the MotoGP family with um, Jorge Lorenzo. He's gone off. He, he's essentially uh, pulled the pin. He said, "I've had enough. Of, um, of I'm going to take a take a break from the sport." But this was another conversation we had that about two and a half years ago, didn't he, Dave? When he, <laughs> yeah, exactly. he, only, only decided to get a three quarter throttle down the main straight. <laughs> <laughs> he um, 
he gave a he gave a very famous speech uh, explaining his uh, four most important days in his life. But once again, your mind, Manuel, I don't think has ever stopped um, for, from that moment. And you believe that there's a potential fifth day in uh, Jorge's life. Oh, well, yes, before, we, before we do that, hang on, hang on. Can we yes. just take a step back for all, all the listeners? Um, Manuel, would you like to start from the first day and run us through what those first, those first four days actually are in a writer's life? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Jorge, I have to say that Jorge Lorenzo, I know him very well because I have traveled with him around the world for years. And we will travel together, he, his manager, and myself. So I know him very well. And Jorge is a very, very special character. He's a guy very special. He is a five-time world champion, so he's not anybody, okay? So when he uh, decides to retire, he announces, announces it in Valencia last uh, November, right? Yes. So at the press conference, he said, basically, there are the four important days in the life of a rider. One is when he arrives at the World Championship. The second one is when he wins his first race. The third, when he conquers his first world title. And then he says, and the fourth is today, when a rider announces his retirement. So how many? 60 days later, he announced that he was returning as a, as a test rider for Yamaha. And then another 30 days later, he announced that he was racing again. So exactly then I realized that with Jorge, there is a fifth day, the, the day of, of the returning. <laughs> he moved the rock aside. He returned he back from <laughs> Took him a bit more than three days, but hey, I'll give him that. Yeah, but I tell you something. I, I, I was really worried because Jorge is a guy that has no friends, has uh, no nobody. He's so uh, such a lonely guy, such a lonely guy because of just many because of his focus, though. Realistically, that's just because he's had one hundred percent focus to what he's doing for the last decade and a half, or even longer. Yeah, no, no, because. I don't think so, because look, there are other riders who were as much as focused like Casey, for example, Casey Stoner, yeah. you are super Casey Stoner, and they had girlfriends and others like Cal Cratcho has family with children. Yeah. Lorenzo has no girlfriend, has no family, he has himself. <clears throat> Sorry. And everybody who is around him is basically with him because of the money. Lorenzo has a famous uh, sentence that explains exactly his character. He says, I, I want to be surrounded by, in Spanish we say, Lorencistas. I mean, people who are from Lorenzo. So he did not never admit somebody who was capable to criticize him. You know? Wow. Yeah, but he, even so, he won five world championships. But yeah. on his environment, there were nobody who, who said to him, Jorge, you are wrong. Jorge, don't do this. Never, ever. Mm -hmm. So my, my fear was when he re announced his retirement that he, after three months, he would jump out of the window, you know, because he, and he's so geary. The money for him is like, basically he has, he lives for the money. So he has a, 
strange character. So his comeback at the end is probably a good news for him. <laughs> so he, he didn't retire. Is that the moral of his story? He reti- Did he do a John Farnham and retired a few times and came back? Yes, he retired basically because the, he didn't know how to get out of that. You know, because he mm. was racing with a team and with a bike, he didn't. He just didn't do it. So he we, went. Manuel, before we go any further, can we can we dig into that a little bit for for Andrew? Just talk about the struggles that he had there for that last couple of years, and and what you what you saw going through his head, and what he'd spoken about. Yeah, Jorge. Uh, basically, he he has raced with one brand, and he has. Uh, been very successful with Yamaha, right? And then uh, two years ago, he was uh, hired by a huge man. He got paid around 12 million a year. 12 million euros or 12 million, yes, 12 million euros a, a year. In Ducati, That's about a million dollars Australian, Andrew. It's about what we earn, right, in our jobs. Yeah, it's about the same. Yeah, it's well, same yeah. yeah there, there, are, there, there are months that we don't make that money, you know. So, yeah, crazy money. It's crazy money, yeah. Yeah, well, the case is that he was in that uh, factory for two years. He wore races. He had some problems. Pa, 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 pa. Then he had to leave that factory and went into Honda. And Honda is where Mark Marquez races. He turned into the teammate of Mark Marquez. That was the big mistake. Because if you go into a team where the other rider is still win, is already winning, he's the one who controls the environment. Yeah. You can only have one number one rider in a team. There's very few teams these days, and, and even in history, have said our, our riders, or even with F1, our drivers are equal. There's always a number one. And obviously, Andrew, you've heard how Mark Marquez is. He's been number one for a long time, but I think you'll agree, Manuel, that Jorge would never see himself as a number two. That no, was never going to be a good he fit. He is the guys. number two. Look, yeah, exactly. Andrea, Andrea, you know Valentino Rossi, right? I've heard about him. That's one name I've heard of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, it, did you say one before? Was there an Aussie? Was there an Aussie guy? Oh, yes. Casey Casey, Casey. Yeah. There you go. That's two. Okay, I lied. It's not completely nothing. I've heard of them. Okay, awesome. Rossi has was for decades the super top rider in, in motorcycle racing. Then a young kid, a young kid who was a little bit more than 20, arrived one year in Rossi's garage. Mm-hmm. And this guy was Jorge Lorenzo. So was he quite old to get into this or? No, no, very young, very young. Nah, he and, was, and, he and was young, he was the was, new kid and, on the block. Yeah, and Valentino was the top of the sport. He was like God in this story. Mm. Knocked him off. What happened at the end, this young kid with consistency and self-confidence, because mm-hmm. you have to be mentally very uh, strong. You have to be. He pushed this guy out of the garage. Valentino Rossi had to leave his kingdom after, wow. th- after three or four years because that young kid ate him. You know? It, mm-hmm. it, it, it got he to did. the point in the pit box that they had to put a wall up between them. Because they yeah, couldn't yeah. be sight of each other. Valentino, look, Valentino, uh, this is a a metaphor. Uh, I can explain you so many things about Valentino. So <laughs> many. Next episode, we can have an entire episode on that. I, I, I saw Valentino arriving when he was 16. He is now 41, and I have seen him coming through and how he is. I know his character. I have been uh, with him uh, having dinner many times. So I know him so well. 
And Valentino, it was almost impossible to think that a young kid could, uh, you know, beat a guy who was God. But at the yeah. end, but it was just because he believes so himself. Lorenzo has three virtues. One, self-confidence. Second, that even in the worst moment, he never doubts about him. You know, he, he, he can be in the deepest hole, but he, he believes that he can, he's capable to get out of that. And this but is so... This sounds like- is this a guy that he's going to have to just ride until he can absolutely not ride anymore? It sounds like it's, he's never going to be able to step away from it. I did a quick Google as you were talking and looked up and it showed that he had a few accidents and he was concerned about um, his spine or something. Or Yeah, yeah. The last year he had a few accidents because, look, when you are young, you don't care. The, 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 mm. the, the, the ground isn't hard. Yeah. As you get older, it gets harder and harder. It's, it's strange physic- physical <laughs> mm. uh, theory. Or no? just realizing consequences or what could really yeah, happen. No. And, and what happened is what? When you win five world titles, you have nothing to prove. When you and are... how do you go backwards? How do you go back? Like, how do you... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You, Which you is the question of not going back. Yeah. Because... How do you become a test rider? How do, you, how do you take a step back? These are the questions that. I think because asking... he has nothing better to do and he likes the money. So he'll just keep doing it until he absolutely just can't. Look, he has, he, I know him as well, very well. And Lorenzo is, was obsession that he wanted to quit when he had a hundred million in the bank. That Mm. was his goal. He said, Manuel, the important thing is the money. Don't forget the money. And the money for him was a hundred million. As a test rider, he is making four billion. That is not so what bad. do you mean a test? What's a test rider? What do you mean? A, a rider that? that the factory use now and then to improve the bikes. Okay? So he's still race. He's still racing. No, uh, testing is something different than racing. Racing, you do it in a surrounded by a lot of riders. Testing, yeah. you you go with a small team on an empty track, and it's just around your... and around and Going around up. by yourself. Yeah, change the settings on the bike. So it's, he wins no matter what. Yeah, that's the bike. It. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he's always number one. Yeah, that's, that's a good plan. Yeah, but for a for a for a a champion, it's very difficult because oh, again, they? they are used to compete. For him to go to do this is will be so boring, so boring. Mm. Because imagine somebody used to race, he gets on a track ten o'clock in the morning, he gets out on an empty track with this. Echo, you know, the bike around the track. And then as a test rider, you go in, you go out because you are testing. You are improving what you got. So they are putting in on your bike pieces that may work or may not work. You understand? Not the, because if you want to improve something, you have to change things. Yeah. So, so he gives advice on how to tweak it and do this claro. and that. So you go out. So just give feedback. He's perfect because he can give feedback realistically. He's ridden mm. these bikes for years and years. So he can tell if he's riding a one minute 34 and he's got these components and then they put a different component and he can feel he's a bit slower into one certain corner and he's doing a 134.5. Yes. He can say still, that. Still, good. Look, you, yep. have to put, you, you have to put in this situation. He goes out and if you test something, you do 10 laps. And then yes. you come back and then they, <laughs> you do 10 laps, you get it to the garage and the team needs 
one hour, 40 minutes to change everything. Then you go out again. You do five laps. You come back. So it's not competing like, okay, let's do everything in 45 minutes. So to be a test driver is so boring. It's incredible <laughs> boring. You know, you know what, Manuel? Give yeah. me his number. I'll I'll take yeah. that bullet for him. <laughs> they, they, the, they are the I'll, only I people who I think that would think that way. So and, the rest and, of us. And, yeah, exactly. and look, I have to tell you another important thing being a test rider. You have to be at the same level at 10 in the morning that at 5 a.m. in the afternoon. Because yeah. you have to have the same, uh, uh, how do you say, um, feedback. You know, because all yes. of us in the morning, we are more... You've got to be a fixed quantity. You have to be, they have to remove all the variables. And so you have to ride at a fixed capacity at 10 a.m. and at 4 4 p.m. Yes, because you are a test rider. I'm just going to hold you there. I'm I'm not going to, I'm actually going to tell you it's not that difficult to do that. I I am the same person when I get up. I'm the same at lunchtime. I'm I'm the same in late (laughs) afternoon. I'm the same in the evening. Well, I'll let you know where of, he's run the 134. I'll let you in. I'll let you in on a bit of a secret. I'll tell you how I do it. Not many people know this. The secret to it is, I'm, I'm willing to share this with some of the, the top flight riders, is set a very, very low standard. Extremely <laughs> low standard. And just cruise no, I, on I, through. I, I can maintain yeah. that through the entire no, day. Nobody will complain. Nobody will complain. That's it. That's it. That's it. And if you do that, if you do that forever, no one ever expects anything more of you. And you can do this for months. And always fall just short. <laughs> that's uh, Manuel, thank you so much uh, for for your insight and your thoughts. Um, we're hoping to make this a regular occurrence. Uh, where can our listeners and our viewers um, get some more insight? Where would be the best place for them to uh, to read more and see more of, of Manuel Piscina? Well, it's it's not nice that I say you, but the Bible, the Bible of this motorsport, <laughs> you can you can read because. People, it's okay to hear and to see videos, but please read a little bit like Vinales does, okay? Get a little bit of culture. <laughs> Get a little Same bit of going. culture. It's not just watching videos. So sorry for that joke, but you can uh, read me and uh, find out different things that you won't see anywhere else at pesinogp.com. It's uh, I, I don't want to call it website. I prefer to call it a platform, okay? So uh, it's an English version, and if you want to learn Spanish, that is the same in Spanish as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, Andrew, where can uh, the, obviously the, the, the hordes of uh, fans and spectators that we're going to have? <laughs> I didn't want you to ask me this question. Where can they get hold of you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll save that for later. We'll All right, then, Stu, where, where can... Uh, I'm all over social media like a dirty rash that won't go away realistically these days. <laughs> I've got nothing else to do in this time of lockdown. So um, you can jump on uh, on your IG feed and you can find me at uh, quickdraw73 on uh, on the gram. Not a You're problem. You're wearing pants in all your photos, right? <laughs> oh, most of them. Just don't zoom in on any mirrors that may be behind some of the shots. It's not pretty. <laughs> and, and as of today, we uh, we have our own Instagram page. So uh, the Pacino Report uh, has our own page. So um, we'll be communicating with everyone out there uh, from from this day forth. Are we getting uh, a theme tune? <laughs> the theme tune. <laughs> we're getting the theme tune. Yeah, we're able to pull that off. So we made it when we. The listeners will be able to hear that. We're even going to have an outro as well. So, um, yeah, Manuel, once again, thank you so much. Uh, We'll see you in the uh, next episode. 
Oh, yes. I hope we have fun on each episode like we had today. This is the spirit, I think, we have to to put in here, right? Wonderful. Yes. Exactly. And you've actually you got so me much excited. Man. I'm going to go Google some of these guys now. And um, I just looked up one before and he had a pretty good mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got me. I'm in. I'm in. What is this, 1982? Come on. <laughs> I, was actually, I was actually impressed because, you know, normally it's not something I'd look at, but I went, there was pictures of him with one and one without, and I went, yeah, damn. Yeah, hot. That's, <laughs> That's a one. Who did you Google? Who did you Google just before we go? Who did you Google? It was one of the ones you were just, it was Maverick, I think. Maverick. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he sometimes he... he... Oh, he has the... The little D'Artagnan yeah. uh, thing going. The, the Max Biaggi yeah. tribute. Yeah, it's a Max Biaggi <laughs> tribute. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I say like it's an ant demonstration, you know? Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Ant demonstration. It's a bit of Antonio Banderas on a motorbike. It's a pencil thin, no? <laughs> All right, guys. Sure, it's very okay, nice. guys, thank you very much. Andra, nice to meet you, Stu. Once again, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Samuel. Fantastic. I love listening to you for hours. Guys, bye. Take it easy. Bye. What the hell's that? It's it's an an oni, which is a Japanese demon. He's holding a club up over here, and he's clubbing a a fish that's turning into a dragon going up my arm. Wow, that was one trip of LSD that you never told me about. Yeah. (laughs) That was a hell of a night when you did that. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. I just woke up the next morning. Where the hell was I last night? (laughs) Apparently, I was going up a man and turning into a dragon. (laughs) 